Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Inspired Banking, a Hyosung podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on this episode of the show. We appreciate you watching and listening along to some broader banking and cash industry thought leadership. We've got a lot to break down today. We're going to be digging into some technologies, some workflows, and we're going to be taking a look at market motivators that are shaping how cash are used in our economy and in turn, how that's impacting brick and mortar operations from retailers to banking chains and more. Uh, but before we get into the core uh, themes of today's conversation, I want to make sure you're getting all the Hyosung content you desire. So, Make sure you're going to our website, hyosungamericas.com. Again, hyosungamericas, with an S at the end, .com. For more information on our solutions and services, our technologies, but also for more Hyosung thought leadership, including episodes of the podcast, videos, articles, blogs, you name it. You can also find more episodes of Inspired Banking on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So just hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations, plus notifications when we drop new ones. So let's go ahead and jump into the meat of today's episode. Again, on today's episode of Inspired Banking, we're going to be making the case for cash recycling functionality in today's ATM solutions. And it's not that cash recycling is a completely new concept. It's been proving itself, actually, as a worthwhile upgrade to ATMs for years now across the globe. It's been creating domino effects for uh, things like cost savings, safer cash management in general, and just more efficient banking services for the end user and for the bank. But the goal of the podcast today is really to connect the dots between the economy today, how cash is being used in practice by the end user, and why we see recycling-capable ATMs as a worthwhile investment to not only uh, interconnect with that efficiency, but also to improve the customer experience. And uh, as we've seen from the last year, year and a half, any sort of investment that puts the customer experience first doesn't just have short-term ramifications, but a lot of long-term strategy as well. So here to help us break down the advantages of cash recycling in today's ATMs is our guest for today. I'm pleased to welcome Mr. Bill Buddy. He's Vice President of Banking Strategy and Solutions at Hyosung. Bill, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you in the studio. Uh, it's a beautiful day out, and we've got lots of quality content to be breaking down. Before we get into the meat of the conversation, again, cash recycling and some of the reasons why it's being validated, I want to start by hearing a little bit more about your background and some of the touch points that your career has had with cash management and cash recycling solutions. So as a quick teaser for our audience, uh, you were a leader in J.P. Morgan Chase's ATM branch. Uh, you've held several roles in the fintech ecosystem over the years. Give us that overview of some of those previous roles and, again, the touch points it's had with cash management at large and maybe even cash recycling solutions. Sure. So, um, yeah, I, I spent uh, quite a good about a time at Chase sure. um, in their branch space, uh, specifically working on ATM technology. Yeah. And started with uh, um, transaction automation, deposit automation technology, okay. and uh, rolling that across the entire footprint uh, of Chase's branch network. Uh, moved into including recycling into those machines uh, across the network as well, mm. um, as well as introducing it into branches with uh, teller recycling um, capabilities. Um, and then expanded beyond that into um, 
enabling uh, a whole host of transactions uh, yeah. in self-service mode. Um, also spend a little bit of time in the merchant services space on point-of-sale hardware and point-of-sale um, technology uh, for our merchant customers. Nice. Okay, so then you've definitely not only uh, had touch points with cash management solutions, but also those applied in various uh, other markets like retail, for example. Correct. Yeah. Transaction automation, transaction processing, um, and payment processing yeah. as well. Well, that's obviously going to come in handy for the conversation today because we're going to be connecting a lot of the dots between cash management in practice in some of these industries. Sure. So uh, I guess playing off of that, I'm curious if you can give us any insights into how cash moves in today's economy, right? How are end users using cash in the larger ecosystem of financial transactions, whether that's uh, in combination with peer-to-peer -peer payments and um, you know, credit and debit cards? Just give us that breakdown for what you see, and is it a rising trend? Are more people using cash? Does it kind of plateau year over year? Is it declining? You know, what's, what's the state? So uh, it's, that's a great that's a great tee up. Um, uh, cash is still a, a predominantly preferred method of payment for in person transactions. Hmm, okay. um, what we've seen over the last eighteen months or so is that uh, a lot of that in person interaction for retail for purchasing in general um, kind of disappeared for a while, sure. and a lot of transactions moved to online, moved to digital channels, right. um, but still in that in person setting. Uh, cash tends to be preferred, especially when it's a low dollar amount. Um, on top of that, you have a, a large population of unbanked and underbanked folks in this country where cash is the easiest mechanism to pay, uh, regardless of, of the type of transaction. So you still have a, a pretty predominant usage of, of cash in, in a lot of different spaces, uh, large purchases, small purchases, person-to-person um, -person or at retailers. Uh, and then there's a there's the whole privacy aspect as well. There's a sure. lot of times where it's uh, it's a very secure, very private form of payment as well. Right. So uh, you you still have a a very large movement of cash, a lot of a, a very high transaction volume usage. Uh, and in fact, the amount of cash in circulation has gone up pretty much every year. Not pretty much, but has gone up every year wow, okay. um, yeah. this century. Right. So year over year, it's always rising. Um, which puts a strain on businesses and banks to process all that, all those pieces of paper with green ink on it that are flowing through their businesses because it is legal tender, so it is valuable and it has to be secured. You kind of mentioned this in passing, but if you could, um, I guess, dig in even more, have cash habits been impacted at all since the pandemic? I mean, obviously, when there were mass closures, uh, you weren't seeing people, you know, go out and about and spend with cash as much. Those restrictions have eased. Um, you know, we're basically back to some semblance of normal now. Have those habits carried over in any way, or do you think we're going to continue to see that increased trend of cash usage? Well, people's habits have changed absolutely, okay, sure. and and I, um, I, we have seen coming um, out of the restrictions and lockdowns um, that people are the the number of transactions that are digital um, cards. Um, tap tap and go style payments mm. ha has risen dramatically, yeah. um, and uh, certainly some of those transactions that would have been cash in the past have been replaced with digital usage as well. 
Um, however, there, there's still a small amount of rise in the cash usage too, right. just because the overall economy is getting bigger, more people, more transactions happening. Um, cash is growing slower than digital transactions, but it still is growing and there's more cash in circulation to manage and to move around and to secure. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you said it yourself too, there's a, I wish I had the stat handy, but there's a considerable portion of the population that is still um, underbanked or just doesn't have a bank at all, right? Uh, and that is a, uh, a demographic that is going to be using cash more predominantly. Um, and, you know, I think it's important to, to see that even with something like a pandemic shaking up those buying habits, I, I don't think it totally removes, like you said, that that cash-first dynamic for uh, several demographics in the U.S., um, which I think we're going to continue to see. And I'm curious if the reasons that you hear from end users for why they prefer to use cash for in-person transactions versus cap-and-go or um, debit and credit, have those reasons changed at all, or are those persisting for some of the same reasons, I guess? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons. Sure. Um, you know, it, Ease is, a, is one big one, right? because I mentioned with the small dollar transactions. Um, and a lot of times it's easier to hand over a couple dollars for a soda and a pack of gum at a convenience store than it is to have to get your card out and stick it in the card reader and wait for the process to happen. Pin so and right, exactly. cash back, no. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, a lot of times it's, yep. it's ease of use. As the transaction gets bigger, people from a uh, financial management perspective, if you do have um, the banking tools available to you, like a credit card or a debit card, people will prefer to use those in a lot of cases. Um, sometimes they don't. So it tends to be a lot of personal preference. And, and especially, like I said, with those small dollar transactions, ease of use becomes, uh, for any transaction, ease of use becomes a big um, part of the decision-making process for customers. Right. So to pivot a little bit, has this steady increase in cash volume as well as cash in circulation, has this impacted brick-and-mortar stores in any significant way? You, you sort of mentioned in passing in one of your other answers that um, with this increase in influx in cash, there is quite literally more paper for these stores to have to deal with and manage every day and to track week over week, right? Uh, could you get more specific on that, break down for us um, what the impact has been and how or how not their uh, equipment, technology, and cash management workflows have been able to adapt. Yeah, so, um, you know, the, the whole movement of cash around the ecosystem, right, goes from the stores and to consumers and into bank branches and, and kind of around in various permutations of that. Um, and whenever it's um, in the, uh, I guess, in the property of either a retailer or a, brand, a bank right. branch, um, it, it's in large amounts, right? It, you, you and I, as a consumer, we have you know a few bucks in our wallet, and we put the appropriate level of security around that because we keep it close to us, or we lock it if if we leave it in the car, we lock our car, and all that kind of stuff. But um, when you're dealing with larger amounts, like a, a, a retail store or like a, a bank branch. Um, there's a significantly higher level of security that you put around keeping tabs on that money, both from securing it in general as well as ensuring that any time it moves, um, you 
have the right amount of pieces of paper with green ink on it that are moving from one <laughs> right. step to the next. Um, so every time that moves, it's big and bulky and heavy, and um, there's processes on either end of that movement to ensure that what was in the one place before is exactly the same as what is in the new place now, whether it's a, a store that is making their daily deposit at a bank, they have to ensure that the same amount of money got there, or whether it's a, a bank that is moving money from one branch into their centralized vault location ensuring that there was no shrinkage along the way, ensuring that there, that the, even the, the reconciliation happened without errors um, and it wasn't miscounted, that kind of stuff. Um, there's a lot of processes that go around that um, that uh, you don't have to do when, with all the rest of the digitized transaction structure. When, when those transactions are flowing through a, a digital uh, state, um, that that reconciliation is also automated from a digital perspective. Right. Um, but when the when it's that that hard cash, it's a very manual process to ensure that um, everything adds up to the right amount, and then it still adds up to the right amount the next day, and it still adds up to the right amount the day after that. Right. Yeah. There's that dual component of um, the physical labor of just having to deal with That's stacks right. on stacks of green paper. Uh, and also, just like the the extra layer of overseeing and managing and tracking the dollar amount. That's right. Right, and and like you said, those um, the digitization of um, banking services and the proliferation of that, especially over the last eighteen months, I think has validated for people why it's so efficient to have that kind of automation. And so I I have a feeling that's been kind of leaking back into the physical cash world. I'm curious what you've seen there. Has this been a subtle or not so subtle validator for cash recycling in ATMs as um, you know, year over year we see more cash? I mean, do you find people asking questions about a solution like that? Or are they seeking, oh, please, someone give me a way to make this more efficient and more straightforward? I don't know, connect the dots for us there. Yeah, you're right on. Um, because uh, the rest of the payment ecosystem is significantly more efficient than, yeah. than the hard cash is, um, it, it becomes an outlier and it's, it kind of sticks out, right? Right, right. Um, and you have all these steps where you're reconciling, then you have a whole kind of process and function around ensuring that those reconciliations are equal. And when they're not, you have to go research why it's not. And sometimes it's a accounting error, sometimes it's a you fat finger a number. On a keyboard, sometimes it's actual uh, theft or fraud, and you really have to research each one of those, right? And um, that's kind of where that recycling comes in, right? Because if you even look at a spe at the specific example of an ATM, right, um, you're depositing customers deposit money into that ATM into the deposit side of the ATM, right? And then that becomes that's efficient for the customer. It gives them 24-hour access to banking services, and it's efficient right. for the bank because they don't have to have a person process that specific transaction. But there's still a whole lot of manual effort that goes on behind it to pull that stack of deposits out and sort it by denomination and count it and reconcile it and then move it to a centralized location where right. it can then be recounted and resorted and re-prepared to be brought back to the ATM to put into the dispense side of the machine. So it's right. a whole lot of effort and reconciliation and validation just to move those pieces of paper six inches to the left in the ATM. Right. right? And um, when you can put a mechanism inside that machine that'll do all those steps for you without having to open the safe, without having to um, manually count and sort and store all that cash, yeah. um, it, it creates a significant amount of reduction in all of that 
um, all that manual labor that goes around with moving those pieces of paper around. So um, there, there's been a, a pretty significant interest in um, bringing that into kind of more of the mainstream, so to speak. There, there were a few um, financial institutions that were out there leading the way with it, but it, um, it's a pretty significant investment. So it was one that um, hadn't been taken up by a lot of financial institutions until recently now it's become significantly interesting as a way to um, pull another level another lever in being more efficient in operations right uh, so we've been hammering at the operational efficiency aspect sure. of it there is also a security aspect of managing physical cash uh, and having to open up the back of the ATM load it with new cash and do that. Daily, right? I mean, that, that poses a lot of opportunities for either accidental loss of cash, you accidentally misplace something, theft, who knows, right? I mean, any number of security challenges. So could you detail what some of those persisting challenges are with traditional ATMs and cash management workflows mm -hmm. and some of the domino effects that's having on brick-and-mortar operations for retailers, banks, et cetera? Sure. Um, yeah, so it's, and that's a great point. The, uh, um, all of those steps that I talked about to move yeah. that cash six inches to the left on an ATM, <laughs> right. um, you know, every single one of those steps along the way, they have that kind of reconciliation and counting process on it so that right. they can ensure that theft isn't happening. Right. Um, that's the whole reason that you kind of count and reconcile cash when you move it from one location to another. Right. Um, and uh, then there's a whole kind of function in most financial institutions around going through that list of reconciliations to ensure that they all balance. Um, and when one doesn't balance, then having to go and dig into the research as to why. And, uh, you know, sometimes it is theft, and the whole reason those processes are there is to ensure that it's caught as soon as possible. Right. But sometimes it's not theft, but you're still researching it because it was a miscount. It was just a simple miscount. You go back and count it and everything's there. Or it was uh, an, a transposition of numbers when you typed it into the system right. after you after you did it. But you still have that um, time and effort to go research what that was and and why it was why those numbers were transposed and validating that it is not theft or fraud, et cetera. Right. Um, and and those tasks happen on a, a the the larger your network is, the more often that happens. But even a, a small branch network or a, a retailer that has, you know, four or five stores in a small chain is still going to be doing those tasks a, a lot right. relatively to the size of their organization. Um, so anytime you can um, remove the need to move that around because that, that device inside is taking care of all of that for you and it's doing it in an automated fashion, it's taking it in, validating that money and immediately storing it so that it can be reused without having to be taken out and counted and sorted and stored and put into a different mechanism. Right. Um, and without having to open the safe and expose it to, um, you know, uh, it put it, make it put it in an exposed position, which means sometimes you have to have dual custody of the money. Um, right. You take out those tasks, and um, you now become significantly more efficient in having uh, time freed up for other things, whether it's time to be just more efficient operationally or whether it's time to um, be more interactive with your customers and drive relationships with sure. your customers, whether it's on the retail side or on the banking side. Right. Um, both types of businesses re rely on customer service and customer interaction and building those relationships. And the more time you have to do that, um, the, the stronger your business is going to be. Sure. So then... <clears throat> We've established that the actual process of cash management is very labor-intensive. It also comes with its security challenges. 
But now let's add it to the slightly bigger picture. How does a you know, labor-intensive cash management process, how does that end up impacting the overall day-to-day operations and sort of schedule and the you know, domino effects of where you apply your resources for these banking chains or retailers, et cetera, right? I have a feeling there's a, a major domino effect there or other aspects of day-to-day operations get defined by when you have to load the cash, when you have to count the cash, when you have to move it six inches, right? Mm-hmm. So connect those dots for us. Well, so there's a there's a couple things that that um, that happen there. Uh, one, you're exactly right. There there's a whole kind of uh, set of processes, a whole job yeah. families associated with just that operational aspect um, in order to keep the bank branches doors open, right. um, so that customers come in, can come in and have the kind of the banking interactions with the sales professionals right. at the locations too. Um, and the more of those tasks that happen, the more people you have to have just there to keep the doors open. Um, and the more of those that you can pull away because they're not necessary, the easier it is to open the doors of the branch and uh, bring in the customers for the financial interactions you want to have with them, whether it's um, you know driving more accounts, whether it's deepening the relationship, what have you. Right. Um, and then on top of that, you know, a lot of banks view their ATM network anymore as a pretty strategic part of their customer service and their customer interaction. It provides that 24-7 um, access to their fund, that to their funds and to cash in general for their customers, as well as deposit taking and all that kind of stuff. That in-person uh, fulfillment arm that's 24-7 available, regardless of the hours that the branch is open. But every time you have to open that safe to refill it with money, that that interaction point is not accessible to customers. Right. So if you have to do that less often, that means less downtime. And one of the biggest indicators of customer satisfaction with their bank and specifically their ATM channel of their bank is the availability of those devices. So mm-hmm. the the more of that downtime, especially the scheduled downtime like the refills and the uh, emptying of the deposit bins, the, right. the more of those downtimes that you can take out of the mix, um, mm-hmm. the more available those devices are for your customers. Fair. And speaking of, um, you know, the, the ATMs themselves have had a uh, major push in validation over the last several years. I mean, I don't even want to quantify it really, but slowly as the broader financial and banking ecosystem has been digitized and has seen a digital transformation, so have these physical self-service kiosks and Really, self-service is the operating word there. There have been more features added to make ATMs useful for the end user, and in that sense, giving them more touch points with their bank and also with cash, potentially. So could you connect the dots there for us as well with uh, how you see, I guess, this digital transformation or addition of self-service features to ATMs, creating some other domino effects in the touch points that end users have with their banks and in turn with cash? Well, yeah, and that's a that's a great kind of follow up to what we were just talking about, yeah. right? Where um, as as ATMs are viewed more and more as a as an important touch point for their customers, right? Um, as more and more features are added, but I mean, when ATMs first came along, they just basically were a cash vending machine, right? And you'd, you'd be able to get money out of it, and it was a single function device, right? Um, which was great at the time, um, but as as we've continued to digitize other parts of, uh, of our financial lives, um, being able to uh, 
digitized deposits, for instance, was a big right. leap for ATMs where it takes an image of a check if you're depositing it or it, right. it can validate your cash immediately when you deposit, which gives you instant credit to that money in your account online or for other payment purposes. Um, that was a big jump in capability at the self-service device, going kind of going beyond um, kind of the, the initial ATM purpose into much more of a financial kiosk-style device, even though they're still kind of commonly called ATMs, right? And now um, that drives a lot more usage of that device. Um, and then as more and more... Um, uh, more and more transactions are enabled at ATMs as well. It becomes a, a much wider uh, swath of customers who are using it now. It becomes much more consistent with your online banking experience where um, customers can have access to all of the accounts just like when they pull it up on their laptop at home or on their right. phone on, um, when they're on the go. Um, if they need physical fulfillment, they can have a similar experience at an ATM where they can right. deposit cash, withdraw cash, and make transfers and make payments and um, maybe even take cash out of a home equity loan, for instance, or make a cash payment into their mortgage. Right. Um, so it becomes a significantly higher usage when you've expanded those capabilities, which then drives the volume that happens at that device um, right. of cash coming in and cash going out, which uh, requires more attention. It requires it to be refilled more often, and it requires the deposit area to be empty more often. Um, and that's, again, where recycling really kind of magnifies its benefit there because the more money that's going in and out of it, um, when that recycling mechanism it's doing, is doing its job, you don't have to refill and empty that device as often. Hey everyone, it's Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B again, switching studios on you real quick to let you know we're needing to cut the episode a little bit short. Not because anything went wrong, but because there's too much good content to cover in one episode. So because this was packed with so much great information to share and evangelize, we're going to split this up into two parts which means stay tuned for part two of the conversation with Bill Buddy, again, VP of Banking Strategy and Solutions on our show, Inspired Banking. We're going to continue to explore the movement of cash in today's uh, broader economy, uh, how consumers use cash in context with other uh, personalized banking services and financial technologies, and then more importantly, uh, where the customer to financial institution ecosystem is shifting and how focusing on improving the entire cash ecosystem is going to affect the experience and uh, overall operation of cash management, not only for the institutions, but for the customers themselves. So again, we'll be back with part two soon. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Hyosung's podcast, Inspired Banking.